Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shi. And I'm Jill Wine Banks. And today's Jill's pin is a uh, pin of the Supreme Court. And the reason for that is because today we're talking about the importance of state Supreme Court elections in Wisconsin. So just because it's not a midterm or presidential election year does not mean there aren't still elections happening across the country. Even though it's 2023, there are numerous important state and local elections happening throughout the United States. And today we want to highlight one of the most important ones, and that is the Supreme Court election in Wisconsin. Early voting is already underway, and Election Day is exactly seven weeks away from today. Currently, the Wisconsin state legislature is controlled by Republicans, and the governor is a Democrat. And the Supreme Court is comprised of seven members elected to 10-year terms. Two are up for re-election, and the differences between the candidates' views on critical issues, especially abortion, are stark, even though the election is technically nonpartisan. So I still remember when we didn't talk about partisanship or the views of justices in even the U.S. Supreme Court. But today we have the perfect guest to talk about what it means that this is a nonpartisan race, the importance of this race, and what Democrats must do in the remaining seven weeks to make sure that the Supreme Court does not tip Republican and eviscerate abortion uh, and probably other rights as well. So today's guest is Ben Wickler, the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. He's been a guest on this show before. He's been a leading voice on everything related to Wisconsin politics, including, of course, what's happening now with the Supreme Court election. We're so glad to have him back today. And I believe uh, that the first time was before the 2020 election, which seems like a thousand years ago. It's great to have you back. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thank you so much, Jill. Thank you so much, Victor. I'm excited that people are talking about a Supreme Court race because this is the kind <laughs> of election that Republicans have been obsessed with and that have gotten them enormous power far from the national spotlight. And in this moment, if Republicans continue with their hammerlock on the Supreme Court in Wisconsin, they have a majority they've had for the last 12 years, it makes it very, very difficult to ever have the possibility of, of I think Wisconsin being a democracy where a majority of the voters could win a majority of the legislative seats. If we win this, it opens up a new path for freedom and democracy in the state that's been the tipping point in both of the last two presidential elections. So this is a big moment for us. And I, I given the ramifications of what happens in Wisconsin for the rest of the country, I think it's a big moment for the nation. And I'm so glad yeah. to be on with you. Yeah. And as our neighbor, um, you know, I'm in Illinois, so you're our neighbor. And so many people from Indivisible and other organizations in mm -hmm. Illinois are working in Wisconsin because it is recognized. But I, I want to start with sort of a, a background thing here, because I keep reading that it's nonpartisan, and yet I keep reading that there are two people who are Democrats and two candidates who are Republicans. And I, so I don't get why. And I will also say that I looked up the ballot for my goddaughter who lives in Wisconsin, and it does not identify any of the candidates other than by name. So that how do people even know who's the Democrat and the Republican? Tell me how this is nonpartisan. So that's you've put your finger on the on the issue. So it's nonpartisan in the sense that the candidates don't declare when they register and file the run what their partisan affiliation is, and the ballot doesn't say it. So voters have no way of knowing who lines up with their values, except for what they hear 
from volunteers knocking on their door, from ads that they see on TV and on their phones, from you know postcards they get in the mail from, from folks across the country. That's the only way people find out. And the reality is that there are two candidates in this race who are running as conservatives. That's the word they keep using. And then they do nod, nod, wink, wink about what that means. One of them talks about how she volunteered when her husband ran for, as a Republican for the state assembly. The other one literally worked for the Republican Party of Wisconsin. They were both appointed by Scott Walker, if that tells you anything. They both went to Pat Robertson's Christian Broadcasting University, now called Regent University. They're both endorsed by the ultra mega hard right anti-abortion groups in our state that want to ban abortion with no exceptions whatsoever. They are Republicans. They're ultra mega Republicans, but voters won't know that unless they find out from the work that everyone listening and, and I and everyone I work with and the campaigns do to educate them about who the far right Republican extremists are in this race. And for the other two candidates, something in writing to take into the, uh, voting booth because not only are their names similar, there are two female candidates, both names begin with a J, Jennifer and Judy. I could see how Janet, easy Janet. To, Janet, sorry, Janet and, and Jennifer. See how easy it is to confuse those. <laughs> um, and it worries me that they might not remember when they get in like, oh wait, which was the conservative one? Um, so I'm wondering if you are passing out something for them to bring in. Um, palm cards, lip pieces. We have folks going door to door every weekend with uh, these, you know, pieces of paper that show Janet Protasiewicz and Everett Mitchell. Those are the two progressives in the Supreme Court race. As their photo, it has their name, and it explains the stakes in the race. Which, to start with, Wisconsin has an abortion ban with almost no exceptions that was passed in yeah. the year 1849 before women had the right to vote, and the Supreme Court will decide whether that should be enforceable or not. And this is as close as Wisconsin gets to having a, a Kansas abortion referendum. We don't have a referendum process in Wisconsin. We have state Supreme Court races. So uh, our job as the Democratic Party is to make sure voters know who the candidates are, who line up with their values. We're neutral between Janet and Everett, but we are not neutral between them and the, the ultra MAGA candidates on the ballot. And uh, getting that name recognition up so that folks know, uh, you know essentially where the dividing line is that is the critical work of this next week and then of the next six weeks for the general election. So we're in a, a primary one week from today on the 21st of February. The top two vote winners will go on to the general election. We will probably endorse. There. Yeah, what's that? Two, two vacancies or one? One vacancy. One vacancy. Okay. Oh, all right. So you could have two Democrats running. Or you two could have two progressives. progressives. Yeah, you could have two conservatives, two progressives. I think that's pretty unlikely, just given that the you know electorate is is pretty split between the two. Um, if you ask people who, you know, who wants to vote, about half the people who say they want to vote are Democrats, half are Republicans, and there's the, we've already broken the record for primary campaign spending in this race. So people are starting to get a pretty good sense of who the Republicans and who the Democrats are. So the, by far the most likely scenario is one Republican, one Democrat get through to the general election. So you mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, this election is particularly unique because it comes against the backdrop of a Democrat-controlled executive branch and a Republican-controlled executive branch. And as we all know, Republicans tend to focus a lot on the courts and judicial races. Talk to us about the role that the Supreme Court typically plays in Wisconsin politics and how you're seeing the Republicans kind of strategize um, around this uh, this election. 
Republicans for the last 12 years have essentially used the state Supreme Court as a third branch of the Republican-controlled state legislature. So what that means is they push through often pretty unconstitutional laws with uh, illegal means. They call special sessions of the legislature in violation of state statute. They do all kinds of stuff. And the state legislature can get away with it because the state Supreme Court has operated essentially as a, as a branch of the Republican Party. So they upheld, for example, a set of laws that after our Democratic governor, Tony Evers, was elected, while before he was sworn in, Scott Walker, the Republican governor, and the state legislature convened a special session and grabbed a bunch of powers away from the sitting governor, from the incoming governor and the incoming Democratic attorney general and gave those powers to the state legislature. And when that was challenged in court on totally legitimate grounds, the state Supreme Court said, hey, no problem here. Just take those powers away from the Democrats and give them to Republicans. Uh, we've seen things like that over and over. Republicans couldn't get laws through to ban drop boxes, for example, for absentee ballots last year. So the state Supreme Court decided to do it because Governor Evers you know, vetoed those kinds of bills and then the state Supreme Court did it instead. Same thing with gerrymandered maps. Republicans in the state legislature passed super gerrymandered maps. Governor Evers vetoed them. And then the state Supreme Court said, well, let's just use those maps anyway. Uh, we now have the worst partisan gerrymander in the country. And Republicans have used it as an end run around democracy so that the person who has been elected now twice with a majority of the public to be the governor, uh, Republicans don't think that that his word should be final. They think that their their judges should do the dirty work for them. Wow. So that's where we are right now. But if we win the majority, all that could change because a if we have a majority of Supreme Court justices who actually look at the law and the Constitution and not just the Republican Party platform, we could have a, an opportunity for starters, to strike down the gerrymandered maps as unconstitutional, which they frankly are, and then have fair maps and have a shot at actually, you know, winning majorities if we win the elections. Yeah, it seems to me there are two really key areas of concern that the Supreme Court of Wisconsin could be involved in. And you mentioned both of them already, sort of democracy issues, including gerrymandering, and also abortion. And and then I want to ask about the composition of the court. But before I do that, I want to just clarify for our listeners something which may be obvious to us, but may not be so obvious. And that is when you mentioned that there's a law that might go into that has gone into effect from the 1800s. And that's not I'm not misstating that it is 18, not 19, not 20. Um, and that is because after Roe, it went away. It was unconstitutional, but it never went away. And once there was no more row, it was like, okay, we're bringing it back. And so it's really a draconian, strict law. And I just want our, you know, our listeners to understand how you could be talking about an 1800 law. And that's because the Supreme Court of the United States protected women from that in Wisconsin. And now that protection is gone. Let's look at the, um, before we get to the democracy issues, the current Supreme Court, it was surprising to me, is now six women and only one man. All are white. The candidates are a little more diverse. There is one white male, one black male, and two white females. Um, and they divide up in a way that could possibly change at least the balance from six women, which is just astounding. Um, 
is that something that's of concern or of interest to the voters? It's interesting. Um, you know, in both parties, there's one man and one woman. In the Democratic Party, it's a African-American man and a white woman. The Republican candidates are both white. Uh, I think the issue of abortion is going to be front and center. And both Janet Protasiewicz and Everett Mitchell have a very powerful message about that. Um, and both Republicans are incredibly right-wing on this issue and support this total abortion ban, or that their endorsers certainly do, and very enthusiastically. So the that the questions around the identities of the candidate, I think, are, are things that voters certainly look at and think about. Mm -hmm. But the vast gulf on the issues is enormous, right? So we've had a 4-3 a conservative majority for the last few years. And since 2020, when we won a Supreme Court race, uh, that 4-3 conservative majority has the chief justice, Pat Rogensack, who's 81. She's retiring. So that leaves 3-3 with an open seat. And that's what this election will fill. So this will, if we win, we flip the majority from 4-3 conservative to 4-3 progressive. If we lose, it stays the way it was. Uh, I'll, I'll share another piece of why this matters so much to us. After 2020, Donald Trump sued to overturn the election results, as he did in many wow. many states. But in other states, those suits were thrown out, you know, and, and laughed out of court. In Wisconsin, the state Supreme Court came within one vote of taking up Trump's lawsuit. Mm. There, there's, there's one very conservative justice who occasionally swings over to the other side in the most egregious circumstances. He voted for their gerrymandered maps and everything else, but he was the, the one who said, no, we won't throw out the, the ballots and hand Wisconsin to Trump. That is too close for comfort. And if we win this, then we avoid the, the risk that a, a presidential election could be overturned in our state. So those issues around democracy and abortion rights are really the, the biggest things. If you look at what Republicans are doing in this campaign, it is all exactly what we saw last year, 100% uh, a, a fear campaign about crime. And that's really their only playbook on the Republican side. And you know, we have to expect it to get pretty ugly before the uh, final election day on, on April 4th. But if we can keep this race focused on the freedoms of voters to, to have control over their own bodies, to participate in our democracy, then that that is winning ground for the progressives who line up with the values of most Wisconsinites across party. I think that's super important, you know, for all of us, I think on this right now and all, all of our listeners and watchers, I think we can feel the stakes of the election and know why it's so important. But kind of going back to something that I mentioned earlier, I mean, for, for Democrats, it's like the courts and, and, and the kind of judicial races just really aren't as, I guess, immediate or maybe we don't really pay as much attention as Republicans do. So are you finding it now with 50 days before Election Day that Democrats are more motivated than you've seen before around this Supreme Court race and, and just, I guess, um, court races in general. People are fired up in this state. And I think that it's for painful reasons. It's because we've seen such terrible decisions over and over and over. Uh, to give one example, in 2020, right before the state Supreme Court election, uh, the governor, you know, we, the COVID pandemic had just hit. And poll workers were dropping out because they were worried about contracting COVID at the polling place. So polling places in Milwaukee, we went from 168 to just five because so many poll workers had dropped out. And the governor said, this is ridiculous. We cannot run an election in these circumstances. Let's delay the election, mail everyone a ballot, do this safely the way that the people are doing in other states, the way that DeWine, Mike DeWine, the Republican governor of, of Ohio, ordered to be done in, in his state. 
And the state Supreme Court, the day before the election, overruled Governor Evers and said, no, this election has to happen tomorrow. And, you know, for anyone paying attention to Wisconsin politics, that moment will be seared in our brains. We've seen a Supreme Court that has no regard for the lives of Wisconsinites, the rights of Wisconsinites. And I, I think because of that, it's been pummeled into us. You have to care about Supreme Court races the same way we do about presidential and governor and Senate races and all these other races that get a lot more a lot more headlines. So I think we're going to have high voter turnout. I think it's going to be highly engaged. We cannot take anything for granted because Republicans also, they know the stakes. They've used those stakes. They've used that power. Yeah. Uh, it's how they've cemented their control of the state legislature and thus the control of our state's purse strings and so much else. So both sides are really engaged in this fight. And I'm just glad that our side isn't sitting it out, which is, I think, really the risk when Democrats, you know, tune into the yeah. president and nothing else. Um, we will show up. And every person who volunteers can make a difference because when you call voters, you're calling people who are strong Democrats, but who might not know that this election is happening. So a single call can can yield an extra vote in the in the primary and the general election. Our, our voters are having a great experience calling folks, and anyone who wants to sign up for a phone bank should go to wisdoms.org slash volunteer to get involved. Say that are again, there, where people can yeah. vote to help. Please repeat so it's wisdoms, Wisconsin Democrats, wisdoms.org slash volunteer. And when you go to that link, you'll see a whole bunch of different things you can sign up for. Just sign up for the one that's most convenient and we will put you to work. Please, please so, do that. Uh, it is really yeah. crucial and it does make a difference. Um, I think, am I right? This is the only election right now in Wisconsin is for the Supreme Court or are there local, other local races? This is the only statewide election. There are many local elections. So right. to take one example, the mayor of Green Bay is, is, is up and is you know, facing a, a challenge from a well-funded Republican. Uh, there are mayor's races, city council races, school board races. There's a special election for state Senate in the suburbs north of Milwaukee that will determine whether Republicans have a supermajority in the state Senate uh, and heard the gerrymandered maps. So there's lots of other things to vote for. I think most Wisconsinites, when they look at their ballot, they will only see the Supreme Court race because different cities have their elections at different moments. But, you know, in Madison, Milwaukee, and lots of different cities, there will be uh, municipal races as well. Yes, I put in my goddaughter's address to check what her ballot would look like, and it is only the Supreme Court. Um, now, she knows how important it is, and she is volunteering and being active. But please, everybody, go to that website and try to get involved in yeah. This race, but also throughout Wisconsin in local elections, because I, I think, as Ben has mentioned, the Republicans have realized the importance of state Supreme Courts and local offices like the school board. If you don't want books banned in your school district, yeah. then you have to get involved in the local school board election. And um, that's very important. So let's turn to the issue of abortion. We mentioned it um, a little bit before, but I I'm wondering if you think that this abortion issue is motivating Democrats, Republicans, or both as it did in Michigan. I think it's motivating both, but it's motivating Democrats more. And it's motivating some Republicans to vote for Democrats. The, the, the striking thing about this issue is that Wisconsin's abortion ban is so extreme that for most independents and for some Republicans, it's a reason to actually cross over and vote for the other side. For some people that might not vote, it's a reason to get up off the couch and cast a ballot. If you are you know, a 
hardcore anti-abortion activist, Wisconsin is is perfect right now because we have we have potentially this abortion ban that starts at zero weeks, has no exceptions for cases of rape or incest or the health of the mother. Um, it's it's so extreme that uh, there are OBGYN practices that are closing right now. In Barron, Wisconsin, we just had one that closed. You can't finish training for to be an OBGYN without leaving the state because you know the term abortion refers to the standard of care in cases of ectopic pregnancy and miscarriages. It's not clear. The, the law was written before the advent of modern medicine. It appears to refer to that kind of care as well. So women are being denied routine care, even who are not trying to terminate a pregnancy. And then, of course, if, if, if you are trying to end a pregnancy, uh, you can't get that care in any clinic in the state right now. So Planned Parenthood is what they do is they help people figure out how to go to Illinois or Minnesota or some other state. It's it's pretty tough. And there are a lot of families, you know, people who already have kids who want to have another who are wondering, do they want to actually keep living in Wisconsin if they're you know, afraid of whether they can get the care they need if something happens during their pregnancy? Now, the thing about this law that was passed in the year 1849, there are other laws that have passed later on during the Roe versus Wade era. And it's not clear whether those laws supersede the old law. It seems to me like they should. The attorney general has sued and said the old law is unenforceable because these new laws supersede it. If we have justices on our state Supreme Court who believe in following the law and the Constitution, the old law will be rendered unenforceable and we could you know, enter the 21st century again. If these ultra mega Republicans get on the Supreme Court, we already pretty much know how they will rule. They'll say that, you know, it's time to go back to 1849 before women had the right to vote, uh, you know, when, when, when this law was originally passed. So that, that is, it, it is so stark and it's so personal for so many people, for so many families, for people who want to have families, for people who knew what it was like in the battle days. I was talking to one volunteer who was telling me that her grandmother died. She already had children. Uh, but she died getting an abortion because she, she wasn't able to have the, the next child Bef before the era of Roe versus Wade. It was an illegal abortion during the era of Wisconsin's abortion ban. And those stories, stories are passed person to person through communities across the state of Wisconsin. And that makes this issue explosive, and rightly so. It's an issue that should motivate people to, to vote. Um, and it could be decisive in this election in the way that it played a huge role, I think, in the, the governor's race last year. Right. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, your Democratic attorney general and governor are suing to overturn the state law. Um, and there are also cases in other jurisdictions. There's one that was brought uh, because a woman who has had several dangerously bad um, pregnancies and is worried that if she were miscarrying, she would die because she would be deprived of having an abortion and is therefore abstaining from becoming pregnant. Uh, and that's another lawsuit. And then, of course, there's now this challenge to the way that 50% of all Americans have an abortion is through medication, not surgery. And there's a challenge to that being brought that the uh, FDA approved it improperly, uh, which is absurd. So I, I just want people to know that there are lawsuits being brought to try to bring back some of the rights that have been lost under Dobbs. Um, but I'm glad to know that it's motivating people right now and that um, hopefully your message is getting across that this is 
an issue that can be determined by the outcome of this election. Absolutely. And we're finding that it is, it's an issue that's resonating and it's an issue that's getting people to, to sign up for those volunteer shifts, to chip in contributions. It makes a huge difference whether we have the money to communicate with people. Um, and it looks like it will be a, a really powerful issue to shape votes. Yeah. And, and it does give me a lot of comfort that you said that some of the Republicans are also voting for Democrats. And I think part of that probably, and I don't know if you, you think this is true, but after Kansas last year, that special election, <clears throat> they framed abortion as an, uh, as kind of the, the difference between freedom and, and, and not, and I guess the, the I guess, lack of ability that you have to choose what you want to do with your own body. And so I th guess maybe that freedom framing is, is pretty kind of motivating for a bunch of Democrats, but also maybe Republicans to switch over. And hopefully that's the case this time around. It's a, it's a, freedom is, uh, as an American, the message you can get. And it's something that is it's such a yeah, deeply held yeah. value for people across the political spectrum. Um, I think this really is kind of our, Wisconsin's version of the Kansas abortion referendum is, is this yeah. Supreme Court election. Yeah. Uh, when you look at what happened last November in Wisconsin, if you, Normally, Democratic turnout falls enormously in midterms with a Democratic president. And because of a huge effort to turn out Democrats, we came close to matching Republicans, but it was still a Republican tilted electorate by about two percentage points. And yet Mandela Barnes lost by only one point and Governor Evers won by 3.4 points. That's because independents and some Republicans crossed over and voted for Democrats in these elections, even though there were more Republicans voting than Democrats. And that I think this issue was a front and center reason why some folks did exactly that. So you're, you mentioned freedom, which brings us to maybe the democracy issues that are at stake in this election um, as a result of how this comes out. Wisconsin's still a swing state, and it was at the heart of the effort, as you mentioned, to overturn the 2020 election. And luckily, you held against the, the Trump pressure. Um, but do we know if the Republican Supreme Court candidates believe in the big lie, if they would be on the side of uh, accepting some of the arguments that have made, been made, the independent state legislature theory, et cetera? This is a key question, and they are keeping their lips pretty sealed about this. But I can tell, I can tell you based on everything them, if it came down to another lawsuit like we had we had after 2020, I would be blown away if they didn't support the big lie position. They've both been endorsed by people who did support the big lie position, who are currently sitting members of their state Supreme Court. They've been backed by organizations that have been pushing the big lie stuff, by right-wing talk radio hosts who are pushing the big lie stuff. Like They are fully immersed in that movement. And that, to me, is one reason why this is a code red election. Um, you know, if, if we get into a constitutional crisis, I don't think that we can count on them to put country ahead of party, even though it's supposed to be nonpartisan. And that, I mean, on top of everything else is yet another red line that I, I don't think that we can safely cross. This is also interesting politically because while most of the Republican establishment and a lot of the hardcore members of the Republican base are fully kind of on board with Trump's election denialism, there are some principled conservatives who are right-wing on every issue, including abortion rights in many cases, for whom this is a bridge too far. And the, the belief in our constitution and the idea that we should have rule of law in this country and the peaceful transfer of power led some Republicans to cross over and vote in the, in the governor's race last year about this. Mm -hmm. I think that might also happen in the Supreme Court race. 
So that's, you know, alongside uh, the, the freedom to access safe and legal abortion, there's going to be a, a fundamental argument about the freedom of being part of a democracy that I think is going to be a big part of this battle. So in the same vein as that, you also mentioned that um, Wisconsin is the most gerrymandered state in the nation. Walk us through some of the gerrymandering and also redistricting cases that could make it to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And what would happen if Republicans do control the court in that scenario? The state of Wisconsin is so gerrymandered that even though Democrats have won 14 out of the last 17 statewide elections, that's more than 80 percent, they have less than 35 percent of the legislative seats. Uh, Wisconsin Democrats have, uh, I guess, I guess we have 35% of the state assembly seats. If Republicans win the special election coming up, we'll have only 33% of the state Senate seats. And we're right on the cusp of having Republican supermajorities in both legislative chambers. All, and I should say, Republicans have six of the eight congressional seats. All of that is the result of these, these, uh, these um, district maps that were laser etched onto the state by Republicans to guarantee Republican control, even if they were losing a majority of the votes, which has happened multiple times. The Democrats win more votes and Republicans get more legislative seats. That is, I think, a pretty flagrant violation of several guarantees in our state constitution, but it's how Republicans in the legislature and the state Supreme Court like it. They don't want to have to answer to a general electorate. They just want to think about Republican primaries. If we elect a pro-constitution, pro-democracy state Supreme Court, majority and the constitutionality of our maps is challenged potentially later this year the state supreme court could deem these maps unconstitutional and demand maps that meet some kind of standard of fairness that's what happened in pennsylvania you folks probably saw the the pennsylvania democrats just won control of the of the um, state assembly there in in the series of elections that took place after 2020's two's general election so we could switch from preventing Republican supermajorities to actually being a democracy where each side is fighting to win a majority in the state legislature. And that would change everything. Not only could it open the door to Democrats having a democratic trifecta and passing laws, it would also make it so that Republicans had to think about whether they might alienate Democrats in their districts and independents in their districts if they did something really bad. So I think it would it could have a moderating impact on Republicans if they if they had actually competitive districts and not just hyper gerrymandered districts that guaranteed their reelection. Uh, this is for the the long term future of the state, touching every issue that affects any Wisconsinite's life. The the question of gerrymandered maps is fundamental, and that is on the line with this election too. Okay, so are there any other issues you want um, your voters to know about that could uh, be affected by the outcome of the Supreme Court race? I mean, just about every issue comes in front of our Supreme Court at one time or another. Issues around around climate change, uh, issues around uh, racial justice and equity, issues around public safety. There are so many different issues that are, are going to come before the state Supreme Court. Uh, but the questions of democracy and freedom kind of touch yeah. all of those things. And I think if right. the number one thing I want is for folks to go into the polling place thinking about whether we should have a Supreme Court that upholds American freedom or one that is part of this kind of autocratic far-right Republican operation that is taking people's freedoms away. Um, if, if folks know those are the states, I'm confident that we'll win. 
Well, this was such an amazing episode, and thank you so much for all that you're doing to raise awareness about this. Everyone, go to wisdems.org slash volunteer. Get involved. Go to Wisconsin if you're in the neighboring states. Make phone calls. There's so many ways to get involved. Ben, thank you so much for shedding light on the Supreme Court race, and best of luck to you and the Democratic Party, and hopefully we can get Democrats elected. That sounds good. Thank you so much. search up wisdoms it's um yeah it is wisdoms yeah. slash volunteer so yeah. w-i-s no c no c d-e-m no c yes exactly well that was a great episode um just i think generally you know jill I, i'm curious to get your thoughts i mean one of the things i think that and i sent you this article last week last week was the state of the union and kate shaw wrote this great piece about how democrats generally don't really talk about the supreme court don't really talk about the courts and so I hope this marks a change in terms of how Democrats approach Supreme Court elections and view Supreme Court elections. I, I'm wondering in your lifetime, has you, have you ever felt a moment when Democrats really cared about the courts as much as Republicans? And do you think it's changing now? I do think it's changing. I think what we're seeing now is the reality has set in that the Republicans have spent the last more than a decade working on local elections and court appointments. And I want to point out that today marks a new record for appointments that President Biden has gotten his, I think it's 100. 100, yep, 100. Nominee confirmed, and that outpaces what Donald Trump did in the same time period. He's going to have to keep it up, though. And it's really important, I think, all Americans are seeing the importance of who sits on the courts and whether they are qualified and whether they are unbiased in their viewpoint and are going to stick to precedent and the real rules of the law. So I think for the first time, we're seeing more and more Democrats interested in school board elections because of the banning of books, the change in curriculum, the stuff that's going on in Florida with DeSantis and the um, advanced courses. I mean, there's just a lot going on that is making us realize that it's not the glamour of the federal government, that really your life is affected in the most dramatic ways by- On the state, local level. On a city or a county or a village level. And so please guys pay attention to this and uh, remember to sign up to volunteer for this. Yeah. And, and I think especially having abortion on the ballot, um, I mean, it's not literally on the ballot this election, but it's, ve- it's very much connected to this race and what it would mean for the future of abortion. I think for young people, too, you know, I think young people are definitely paying attention to the Supreme Court and also just courts in general, um, seeing what happened with that Supreme Court overturning the right to an abortion, I think was startling for everyone, but especially this generation that thought that it would be a guarantee, but clearly is not. And so I hope um, Wisconsin, people in Wisconsin really um, pay attention. They they go out there and they vote and they volunteer before election day to turn out all of their friends as well. And uh, I, I know your goddaughter is also a college student. So is she sending her, her ballot into um, Wisconsin from Portland, Oregon? Well, it's my grand goddaughter. My goddaughter is oh, oh. Yeah, my granddaughter is oh, a therapist and very involved in Wisconsin politics, um, got it. supporting candidates and going door to door. And uh, my granddaughter is not in state right now, but she is voting. Yes. 
Yes, she via absentee, which is another option. Yes. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the other news of the day. I know we were, um, last night, we were talking about um, the tragic news out of Michigan State University. So far, at least three people are confirmed dead. Five others are injured. And it's just hard to, I mean, look at the situation without remembering that exactly five years ago was the Parkland uh, shooting. And, you know, we've talked about a lot on this show, our nation's unique problem with gun violence. Five years later, really nothing has gotten better. And I'm wondering, Jill, if you have any hope left in this moment, um, because it's like, I mean, you're hearing a lot of Republicans offer thoughts and prayers, but Will this be the moment where we finally have change? I mean, young people, and Elisa Slotkin, who um, we were both we, we both saw on uh, last Friday at U Chicago, she gave a great press conference this morning and said, "The reality is that you either care about students and young people, or you don't. You care about children, or you don't." And it seems like Republicans don't. And I'm I hate to make it political, but unfortunately, it is because you have an entire party that is beholden to the NRA and power and money. And I just don't know if it's going to change. I, I really am stumped by this one. I am appalled. And this year we have at least, and and by the way, this does not count as a mass shooting, which requires four dead other than the shooter. In this case, there are, the shooter is shot himself as well. He, he's also dead, but he doesn't count toward that. It is appalling that we have had one mass shooting, more than one, a day. Can I, can I share a quick statistics? Robert Reich posted this really startling um, comparison over the years of the number of mass shootings that we've had. Mm-hmm. In 2014, we had 273 mass shootings, which is already way too high. In 2022, we had 647 mass shootings. Less than 10 years later, that number increased almost 400. In the first seven weeks of 2023, we've had 67. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, what can you say? Guns kill. And I don't care what the NRA says. If guns weren't so readily available, people wouldn't be dead in these numbers. And I, you know, I, we don't have the information, or at least I don't right now on the Michigan shooting as to what type of weapon he used or what his motives were. Um, or what his intents were. He apparently had a letter that targeted two schools in New Jersey where where he had previously been. Um, So I don't want to draw any conclusions about his motives or or anything right now, but it's still one more death than we need. It is actually three more than we need. And I'm I'm saddened by this and I am hopeful uh, you know, it came close to your home and my home when the Highland Park shooter on July 4th. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's way too close for my comfort. And I think that it's time. And your generation is doing a good job in fighting for this. Um, maybe, maybe your generation, Democrat and Republican, will see that the Second Amendment says a well-regulated militia. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm sorry, but you can't, you know, if you want to be an originalist, pay attention to the actual word <laughs> there. And this is- All the textualists out there. Exactly. Yes. So please, folks, you know, pay there, attention. There's an interesting, I, I was listening to um, someone at MSNBC today and she was talking about the response to this. And I forgot what her name was, um, but she was talking about the response to this. And I mean, 
what I mean, how are we imagining what college campuses will look like after this? Are we going to install metal detectors in every single building? Are, are students going to have to go through drastic measures just to feel safe? I mean, you have an entire generation where it's the, I mean, the lockdown generation where we have to go through lockdown drills, school shootings. I mean, it, it's just scary because colleges are supposed to be a place where young people, students can just be free and, and, and not have to worry about anything. But I mean, what is, I, I wonder how colleges are going to respond to this because no college is immune. If it, can, if it can happen at MSU, it can happen anywhere. And it's hard to control what happens at colleges and, and make people feel safe. But is the option now, I mean, everyone has to go through some sort of metal detection system or get checked that they that don't have a gun. Because with high powered weapons, you can shoot from outside into the building. And yeah, yeah. no way you can restrict the entire campus right. from people. And you have a six-year-old who brought a gun to school and shot his teacher. So yeah, it's yeah. not just colleges that we need to worry about. It is all schools. But it's also, you know, when we look at the mass shootings of this year, it's nightclubs, it's Walmarts, it's yeah, everywhere. Yeah. everywhere that, literally. And the 4th of July parade which was yep. outdoors, of course. So- I mean, is there anywhere that we can feel safe anymore? I, yeah. It seems like they, I mean, every single place where people congregate publicly or where we just do our normal yeah. activities is has been shot at. You know, it's, it's, it's really- it, um, Yeah, I mean, Congress, get busy. That's all I yeah. can say. We have, yeah. to, have to pay attention. And as we acknowledge and, you know, commemorate the- anniversary of Parkland and think about all of the tragedies of the last few months, uh, you know, everywhere across the country, uh, people driving, you know, Texas, Buffalo, think about all the places, Florida, where there have been mass shootings. And that is defined as at least four dead. That's horrible. California had multiples in, in one week. So, we need to be much more careful and we need to strengthen our laws to prevent it. And it has to be a national law because yeah. Illinois has very strict laws, but was Illinois, I'm sorry, yeah. Indiana does not. And Indiana is immediately adjacent. It's an hour drive from my house. You can go there and get a gun and drive back. There's no border crossing. So yeah. we're going to have to do something very serious here. Absolutely. Let's, in the remaining time that we have left, um, there was some news out of Fulton County, Georgia yesterday, um, and there is apparently going to be a partial release of the special grand jury's report on the uh, Trump effort to overturn the 2020 election in uh, Georgia. Walk us through what that means, um, you know, after we see this partial release. Is there anything we know about that partial release, and, and what does it mean after that? We do. The partial release has no names in it, and that's actually the right outcome because until there are indictments, you do not want to sully someone's name without there ever being an indictment and a chance for someone to defend themselves. So the the um, introduction and the conclusion are going to be released. And the part that says that the special grand jury believes that people lied to the grand jury. Um, And the rest of it, the judge said, really needs to be held secret until there are indictments. And it appears from what's going on that there will be indictments. We don't know exactly when, but it's safe to assume 
because Georgia has a strange law that requires that you go to trial within two months after the end of the special grand jury. Remember, this was a special grand jury that can only make recommendations. It can't actually indict. Then their recommendation is presented to a regular grand jury, which will decide whether there's enough evidence to indict or not indict based on the recommendation, but based on the evidence presented. And after they, you know, that grand jury's, it's not the date of indictment. It's the date of the expiration of the grand jury, the the regular grand jury. So it's the new one will start on March 1st. So if you did it today or, you know, last week, you would only have a week or more before the grand jury expires. And then you'd have to basically be ready for trial. If you indict on March 1st or whenever the next grand jury is actually sworn in, I don't know what day of the week the first is, it could be a Sunday, but um, anyway, you would then have till the expiration of that. And that gives everybody involved more time. So I think that she would be waiting until the March grand jury to present evidence for a uh, possible indictment. And it does refer to defendants. So we're expecting more than one person to be named in whatever the indictment is, but we have no idea how many or exactly when or what the charges will be. Um, We're going to have to wait as much as I would like to know today. Um, But tomorrow, introduction and the conclusion and the lying. So it's, it's an important, it's important. And I will be looking forward to that. I would also say, if you go online and look up Judge McBurney's decision, his order, it's really interesting reading. And, and it's not, you don't have to be a lawyer to read it. Um, Skip all the legal citations and the footnotes, just read, um, particularly starting at about page three or four, the first page is sort of background about how the grand jury gets in, you know, sworn in and why this is not an official uh, court record so that it doesn't have to be uh, published, which an official court record would be subject to the Freedom of Information Act and have to be published. Um, but then it gets into more substantive stuff. And it, it it's an interesting read. So if you Google that or use Bing, hey, should we talk about Bing, which is now supposed to be a real Bing? Bing really? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I can tell you no Gen Z uses Bing. <laughs> well, uh, believe me, I don't use Bing, but supposedly it has now overtaken um, Google as being a great way to do search. I haven't, I had yes, it at yeah. one point on my uh, Kindle, my uh, Amazon Fire tablet, and it was horrible, absolutely terrible. I mean, I, I would only use Chrome, um, but I'm going to try it again. So, well, so it's kind of like Chat GPT, but even better. I'm, I'm, I'm told because it's an artificial intelligence boosted i guess search engine um but it's 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 even i mean it's even better than chat gpt so i mean imagine how how good chat gpt is and, and it, it can even be more responsive and give you more answers than that so it's um it, you know i don't i don't know if i'll be using being after that but maybe maybe you'll, you'll you'll have more people it is popular i guess is i i don't know i mean it's it seems uh i think it's worth trying right now if it's better than google it's worth trying so let us know, folks, if you try Bing, what you think, what it's 
problems are and yeah. Uh, yeah. as we all try to adjust to whether Twitter should be the thing we continue to use or uh, post news or Mastodon or any of the other variety of social media. Um, and I did note that post news is about to get an app, which would make it so much more usable than yes, it is yeah. right you know, now. Jill, I don't know if you saw this, but I mean, kind of goes to the power of chat GPT. Neil Katyal posted this thing the other day. He's writing this um, op-ed for the New York Times. And he asked ChatGPT to write an op-ed in the style of Neil Katyal. And it basically got everything. I mean, other than the fact that because the software for ChatGPT only goes up until 2021. So some of the things are outdated. But it wrote it. I mean, Neil Katyal said he, I mean, it basically matches voice to a T. Like, that's exactly really? what he would have written. Yes. And it, and it was so, like, you, like you see it and you're like, oh, my gosh. I mean. And it's a concern, I mean, for, I think, a lot of classrooms and a lot of English teachers who now students are just going to use ChatGPT to write essays. And it's a really good essay. I mean, it doesn't go to things past 2021, but it's it's pretty good. Wow. Well, I've been working on a piece about the Equal Rights Amendment. Yes, and yes. I'm just about done with it. But I don't know. Maybe you want to run it past ChatGPT. <laughs> And I'm not going to use that one. I promise I'm using the yes, one. Yes. I will only submit the one that I actually wrote. But it might be interesting to see what it comes yeah. up with. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The well, idea. Te technology never fails to amaze. We'll all uh, definitely, um, hopefully, ChatGPT won't be the last time we hear of this. And there's actually a new software um, created by a Princeton senior called ChatGPT Zero, which is supposed to help English teachers detect if an essay is written by ChatGPT. So hopefully there are measures to make sure that we don't abuse the system. But um, we thank all of you for uh, tuning into this episode. Hopefully you have gained a better understanding of why Supreme Court elections matter, about why state Supreme Court elections matter and local elections matter. And if you are, if you have any capacity between now and April 4th, uh, which is in exactly seven weeks, go to wisdems.org slash volunteer, make some phone calls. If you're in Illinois or any of the surrounding states of Wisconsin, go into the state, make uh, knock on some doors, help out. Um, really, no effort is too small and every volunteer is needed. So hopefully you can do your part to help us save Wisconsin from going to the hands of Republicans. Um, thanks so much for watching this episode and we will be back next week with another episode of iGen Politics. Be sure to subscribe wherever, I guess on YouTube and wherever you follow your podcast for new episodes every Tuesday here on YouTube or every Wednesday on your podcast platform.